get out. Thank y'all for working with us this morning. We uh, are in the middle of a series on Exodus. If you're visiting with us or unable to be here the last couple weeks, we've been in a series on Exodus. And uh, the reason that we're doing this is we're actually getting ready for uh, next week, uh, first weekend in March, we're going to have a study of the tabernacle Sunday morning. Uh, and then Sunday night and Monday night. It'll be 5 o'clock on Sunday night and 6.30 on, on uh, Monday night. I think all the, the details are in your worship guide there. If you have any questions, please stop by the Connection Center. We'd love to uh, answer those questions because we want to accommodate uh, for everybody. We want as many people to be here as possible. Uh, so so uh, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask. We, we're going to have a meal there in the middle on Sunday night, and uh, I think all that's clear in the worship guide. Well, because of that, We've been working our way through Exodus. Now, we're not going to get to the tabernacle this morning, but uh, we're kind of moving in that direction. Our minds are moving in that direction. We're going to be here for much of the year. We'll come back to it, leave for a little while, come back to it um, as, the, as the year unfolds. And so that's, that's what we're doing. When we left the story last week, um, God had come front and center. Uh, in the first couple chapters, God was kind of working in the, in the shadows. He's working in the background. But yesterday... Yesterday, or excuse me, last Sunday, I thought I heard a siren or something. My goodness. Um, last Sunday, God came front and center. And he came in a bush, in a burning bush. And uh, God said, Moses, I want you to go and deliver my people out of the hand of Pharaoh. I've heard their cry. I have seen their heartache. And I am now moving in their direction to see them released and free. That was a good reminder that God sees and he hears and he moves in our direction, in our darkest times. Well, this morning we're going to fast forward a little bit. Moses goes on to Egypt and he tells the Israelites why he, why he is there. He's, he may get excited about it. He goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not excited about it. He says it's not going to happen. They're not, I'm not freeing them. And he actually makes them work harder to build uh, the, the bricks that they're responsible for. And then God moves. He moves in a way that we've been taught all of our lives. God moves in the situation. Now, when Moses goes to Pharaoh, his message is a clear one. It's a pointed one. He says, I am here on behalf of I am who I am. I'm here on behalf of Yahweh, of the Lord. And I am here to tell you that you need to let the people of Israel go. You need to let the Israelites go. Well, Pharaoh says, no, it's not happening. And he says, no, I'm here for a, a reason. Uh, the God of the Israelites has said, let my people go. You need to let them go. And in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, um, Mo, or, uh, Pharaoh responds to this statement that you need to let the people of God go. That's why I'm here. Here's what Pharaoh says. But Pharaoh said back to Moses, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. The reason that I keep harping on this is because when we talk about the plagues, when we, we talk about this, this, this area of the Bible, this text, 
Uh, in our culture, one of two superficial uh, ideas or responses come to mind. And, and the reason that I say superficial is because these plagues are the result of this question. Moses says, I'm here on behalf of God. You need to let the people of Israel go. And Pharaoh responds, who is the Lord and why should I obey him? And the, 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 um, the plagues are really a response to that question. In, in our culture, there's usually two superficial responses. The first one is this. That is awesome. I love it when God strikes down the bad people. Right? And that's, that's, that's one of the, the superficial responses. When we talk about the plague, one group of people goes, yes, get them. The other superficial response is kind of the opposite side of the same coin. This is why I gave up on church and re organized religion in the first place. I mean, it's, it's stories like this, this idea that there's a good people and a bad people, and God takes the side of the good people in, in response to or, or at the, the mercy of the bad people, and that's why I just cannot get my mind around that. That's why I left church and organized religion in the first place. And I'm here to submit that both of these responses are false. That this is not, this has nothing to do with the place. It is only a response to this question. Who is the Lord and why should I obey him? Now, Pharaoh was not an atheist. It's not that he didn't believe in any gods. It was, it was that he was a pluralist. It was, look, Moses, you and the Israelites have your God. I and the Egyptians have our God. Let's just leave well enough alone. I mean, why? what makes you think that I should submit to your God? Why? That, that, is, that is an arrogant statement, Moses. Why should I obey him? And it's out of mercy. It's out of mercy. That God sends the plagues to simply answer this question. Who is the Lord? And why should I obey him? This is really, these plagues are really an act of mercy. Now, we know that, that Pharaoh hardens his heart and rejects this grace and mercy. But this is not God taking one side at the expense of the other. This is not taking the side of the good in expense of the bad. No, this is, this is God stretching out his hand of mercy to a lost people, encouraging them to find hope and peace and salvation in the only one who can deliver it. You think I'm making that up? Let me just show you. In chapter 7, starting in verse 14. God sends the plagues to answer the question, who is the Lord, and why should I obey him? Verse 14. We got a long ways to go. If you're a guest with us, we don't normally read this much. We got a clock. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Stop right there. We're not going to do this much, I promise. But um, very quickly, last week in our home group, we, we talked about this. Now, not this particular verse, but this idea of, of um, hardening a heart. God hardening the heart. It happens three different times in this story. It says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then there's other times that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. 
Now, um, the question was asked in our, in our uh, home group, Scott, what do you think? And like any seasoned politician, I dodged the question. But, um, but here's, here's what I would say. In our, in our church, in the previous service and in this service, there are people that are all along the spectrum of when, when it comes to salvation. From um, um, uh, reform theology, predestination, whatever word you want to use. There are people in our church that believe strongly that God is the one who wills salvation. There are people that believe that in our church. And then on the other end of the spectrum, there are people who believe, no, God knows, yes, because he knows everything, but he leaves that as a free decision to individual people, to individual people, all right? And we have people in our church that I love, sat across the table from them, had coffee with them, and they believe strongly that this is the view of their, uh, of salvation in their theology. Now, Here's the only thing that I would say to this, to this spectrum, and the people that are in our church. <coughs> I'm not going to tell you where I'm at on the, on the line, because I'm not going to be far enough for either group. But here's, here's what I would say. Your theology must have room for this verse, that God is the one who hardened Pharaoh's heart. God's the one who did it. The Bible tells us three different times. And your theology must have room for the verse that says that God desires all people from all nations, from every tribe, every tongue, every skin color, every corner of the globe to come to salvation. Every last one of them, the Bible says, he desires to come. He desires to come. And for us to have a cogent biblical theology, what I mean by that is a well-rounded, uh, a biblical theology. But what the Bible tells us about God is... To have a, a cogent biblical theology, we must be able to include both of those verses and the tension that they hold in it, in our theology. You say, wait, wait, just a minute, Scott. Wait just a minute. That seems mutually exclusive. And I would say, from my perspective, it does as well. I don't know the answer. But I do know that the Bible includes both. So in, in, we have to include both as we study the scriptures, as we, as we dig this into the scriptures, as we, as we um, plow in the scriptures, so to speak. I'm trying to give you this picture of, of work. As we work in, in understanding the scriptures, uh, a cogent biblical theology must include both. Even though, <laughs> even though I have no clue exactly how that works. 100%. All right? That was just extra credit. Let's go. Um, <laughs> verse 50. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. I am who I am. See, he's answering the question, who is the Lord? Why should I obey him? Here is how you know that, he, that he's the Lord and you should obey him. Verse 17 again, thus says the Lord, this, uh, this, uh, by this you will know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink. And the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking the water of the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Abram, or to Aaron, 
Take your staff and stretch your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that uh, they may become blood. And there uh, shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded, in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. He lifted up the, the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. So the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord has said. Now, I'm not sure how the, the magicians pulled this off. I know there's power in, in uh, you know, God may have allowed them to do it, there, and there's power in the occult. I, I know, understand that when you're talking about spells and, and that sort of thing. Um, but as I was trying to read through this and, and thinking of application, I, I, I realized, you know, we do the same thing in our culture. We do the same thing in our culture. Um, we have broke the code when it comes to life. Like, we know, we know how life works. Um, we, we know what it takes for, for life to, 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 uh, to stay alive. Um, we, we have medicine that, that can treat all kinds of diseases. All kinds of diseases. And, and I'm all for it, all right? I think you go to the doctor, take the blood transfusion, all of that. Here's all that I'm saying. That we have a unique ability to explain away the miraculous. In our culture, we have a, a, an ability to explain away the miraculous. That's exactly what happened here. That's exactly what happened here. Maybe this story is not so different from us after all. Verse 23. Pharaoh turned and went into his house. And he did not take even this to heart. All the Egyptians dug along the Nile uh, for water to drink. For they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Now, the Nile was, was the source of their financial power and their military power. This was the most powerful nation on earth ever up to this point. And they knew that the reason for their power, both financially and militarily, was because of the Nile. As you can imagine, in a pluralistic society, they began to make gods out of the Nile. They would have gods that represented the Nile that they would worship. So the Nile would continue to offer this prosperity. The, the first god uh, in, in the Nile uh, that, that a god confronts out of his mercy is a god called Haku. It's the god of the Nile that they believed was the source of their satisfaction. This is what all humans want for all of time. We want just this deep satisfaction to be satisfied at the core of our soul. And the, the people of Egypt thought that that satisfaction was found in the Nile. And God, in his mercy, confronts this and says, No, Pharaoh, Egyptians, the, the, the satisfaction of your soul is not found in the Nile. It is found only in me, only in I am. I was thinking about it this week. I think we do the same thing. Over the last four and a half years that I've been pastor here, almost continually, um, I have done premarital counseling. And almost every time, not every time, but almost every time, 
um, we'll start talking about marriage. And the, the girl will say something like this. I have been waiting for this guy. He, I, I love him. He is awesome. He completes me. He satisfies me. I love him. And I love him forever. And then I'll turn to the guy and he'll say, she is the one I've been waiting for. I have been longing for her to show up. And when she walked through the door, I knew she was the one. She completes me. And then I'll turn back to the, the girl or I'll turn back to the guy, excuse me, and I will say, as nicely as I can, she ain't that good. <laughs> and then I'll turn to her and I'll say, he ain't that good. Because if you think that marrying a person, another sinful, broken human being, is going to complete me. You are headed towards heartache. And I just believe that it's my job to tell you that. Because, young lady, there is a depth of crazy that he ain't showed you yet. <laughs> it hasn't come out in dating. And if you, and it will, when you, with two sinful human beings live under the same roof, and they try to mingle their souls in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord, it's hard work. And if you think satisfaction is going to come in that relationship, you are headed towards disaster. Fulfillment, satisfaction, the deepest longing of your soul will never be found in anyone other than the Lord, in anyone other than I am. Now, I'm not saying that people that don't know Christ can't have some measure of satisfaction. That's not what I'm saying at all. But the, the, the believer knows, can, 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 can worship the giver of the gifts. It does not terminate on the gift itself. The New Testament puts it like this. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And God in his mercy is reaching his hand out to Pharaoh and the Egyptians and saying, you think satisfaction comes by worshiping the God that you call happy. He will always let you down. Satisfaction is found in me and in me alone. Second, play <coughs> chapter 8, starting in verse 1. This is the second play. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that, my, that they may worship me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. My skin crawls thinking about that. <laughs> the Nile shall swarm with frogs and shall come up into your house, into your bedroom, onto your bed, and in, into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up on you, on your people, and all your servants. I love the progression here. They're coming out of the Nile. They're coming into the yard. They're coming into the house. They're coming into the bed. They're coming into your kneading bowl. And then they're going to end up on you, and there is nothing you can do about it. That is gross. Uh, verse 5. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools. Make the frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt. And the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts. And, the, and made frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, and Aaron and said, 
Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people. That I will let the pe- then I will let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to, com- to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people. That the frogs may be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. He said tomorrow. Moses said, may it be so. Uh, that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs shall go away from you in your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went to uh, went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out, uh, cried out to the Lord about the frogs. He agreed with with as he agreed with Pharaoh, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. And verse 15 is huge. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. God is confronting another goddess that the Egyptians had, the goddess of Paket. And it's the goddess of fruitfulness. And and if you actually look her up on Google, if you Google Paket, this goddess has a frog face on it. And that's why God, it's unmistakable that he is confronting this goddess of fruitfulness. And if you wanted to succeed, you wanted to be fruitful, then you went to the goddess of a cat. And this was a general fruitfulness. This was kids, this was in business, this was financially. If you wanted fruitfulness, you went to the goddess of a cat. And God in his mercy is confronting this. One illustration that I heard from a guy named Paul Tripp a while ago that I've loved is this. Any kind of fruitfulness born outside of Christ is like picking up apples and stapling them to a tree. Tripp goes on and said, It will look fruitful for a bit until it it all starts to rot. And that is what God is saying, is teaching, His mercy is extending this truth to Pharaoh. You want fruitfulness? It's found in me. Now, the the, the last thing, verse 15 there. We do this as well, don't we? We, we long for a spouse. I mean, we, we pray for a spouse. God, send me a spouse. Father, I pray that I would be honored, uh, that you would be honored with a, by, by sending me a spouse. And then we get a spouse and we go, it's a respite. I got this all under control now. Thank you, God, for sending me. I can take it from here. I got it under control from here. Or we, we pray for a child. God, send me a child. God, I pray that you would send us a daughter. You'd send us a son. And then he sends us, a, he sends you a, a daughter or a son. And then you go, I got it from here. I can take it from here, God. I got it all under control. May God, through his word, extend mercy to you. That fruitfulness. Fruitfulness that satisfies the deepest longing of our soul is only found in Christ. Number three. In verse 16. I've got two more to cover. I lived in Texas before moving to Missouri. And I have great empathy for these two. (laughs) Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats. Your version may say lots. It's just a translation difference. 
in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Uh, Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. And the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. This is the first time that they could not reproduce the plague. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. The third plague that God is confronting in his mercy is the, the goddess Geb. And this is the goddess of comfort and ease. The goddess of comfort and ease. Here was the motto in Egypt. We're the most powerful nation the world has ever known. We deserve to be comfortable and at peace. I know this is a difficult thing for us to understand and comprehend in the United States. <laughs> or maybe not. Maybe this applies a little bit more closely than we thought just reading through the text. But God assaults this head on because he knows that comfort and peace are only found in him. And I am who I am. I've used this illustration multiple times, but I'm going to keep coming back to it because nobody else, I need to remember it and believe it. There was a guy named Tom Brady. He's a, a quarterback of the Patriots. Many believe the, the best quarterback in the history of the NFL, the greatest of all time. And a few years ago, there was a, an interview that, um, I, I believe it was 60 Minutes, if I, if I remember right. And Tom Brady sat down with a, a, a guy from 60 Minutes, and um, the question was this. Tom. You have everything the world says that you need to be satisfied. I mean, you have more money than three generations is going to be able to spend, even if they try to spend it all. You have a beautiful wife. You have kids. You are the greatest at your craft that there has ever been. And he, Tom Brady, said, you're right. I mean, I, I have won Super Bowls. I have all of those things that you just said. But why is there something nagging in me that there must be something more to this life? There's got to be something more. And the interviewer said, kind of perplexed, Tom, what are you talking about? What, what is it that you're talking about? And Tom responded, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. This is the same sad story time after time. Don't believe me? Go read Steve Jobs' biography. A billionaire, the greatest tech mind, he revolutionized, revolutionized the technology industry. And he was a miserable man. He flew all over the world much of his life, much of his life, trying to find comfort and ease in the depths of his soul. And he died never having found it. According to the biography. And we know as believers where the source of that comfort and ease comes from. I mean, think about it. Billionaires, over and over and over again, we hear about the story. You can, you can wake up, get on your private jet, fly anywhere in the world, and you are accommodated. 
And regularly we hear about the stories of their misery. And God knows this. And that is why in his mercy for Pharaoh, his mercy for Pharaoh, he lifts out his hand. He stretches out his hand and says, you want comfort and ease and satisfaction at the deepest longings of your soul? It is found in me. It's not found in the goddess Geth. It's found in me. Last plague. Verse 20. The gnats have been gone for less than 24 hours. And then verse 20 hits. One quick point. This is the first plague that does not affect the Israelites. Every other one up to now, the first three, the Israelites were affected by it as well. Verse 20 is just the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me, or else, if you will not, let my people go. Behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell. And so there are no swarms of flies, so, so there no swarms of flies shall be. Uh, that they may know, that you may know, that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will happen. And the Lord did so. There came swarms of flies into the houses of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. And as the story unfolds, like the previous three, the, the flies come. Pharaoh says, no. Please call off the dogs. Tell God to take those away. This time, he says, and I will let the people go a little ways out. And sacrifice to the Lord. And so Moses goes to God and says, God, will you, will you give them a respite? Will you take away the flies? God says yes. He relents. As soon as the relents, as soon as the flies go away, as soon as they all die, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. And he does not let the people go and worship and sacrifice to the Lord. Here's what I hope you've seen. God didn't judge or didn't send the plagues simply because he was mad at Pharaoh and wanted to judge him and the Egyptians. He was not waiting for the chance to drop the hammer, so to speak, on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. He wasn't just waiting. He wasn't, wasn't waiting, kind of rubbing his hands together going, I just cannot wait until I cause misery to these people. That is not the picture that we see over and over and over again. And... He did not send the plagues because he wanted to save the Israelites at the expense of the Egyptians. That has never been his plan. I, I put in my notes. All you have to do is look at Jesus' own lineage. This can't possibly be his purpose. God sent the plagues as an act of mercy to Pharaoh and the Egyptians so that Pharaoh would know who the Lord is and why he should be obeyed. Unfortunately, God's mercy was rejected over and over and over again. This morning I want to close a little bit differently with a video 
It's a song that Phil wrote, one of his less popular songs, as you'll see in a minute. But it's, it's, it's a funny video, and I guarantee you, as you leave here this morning, you'll never forget this. <laughs> 